Well, I want to just chat with you for a moment and just thinking about vacations as John already started talking about. How many of you really, when you talk about vacations, one of the things that you find refreshing if you pull away is to open a good book? Like you enjoy reading a, a book. My wife's like this. We, she on our vacation disappeared for a couple of days. Uh, but uh, what, what I've noticed is when you're reading a book, there's always, especially if it's a good one, there's this temptation. And here's a chance for confession. This temptation to actually flip ahead and read how the story ends. Anybody ever done that before? If we're going to be honest in church where you're just like, you know what, I'm just too impatient. I can't wait to see how this is going to play itself out. How about... With that, not just book readers, how about any Netflix watchers that choose to fast forward in the series to find out how it plays out? We're being real here now. Anybody confess to that before, looked ahead, watched something, uh, how that's going on? We've had um, a show that my wife and I were watching recently. Uh, Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Married at First Sight. Very, no one's heard of it. Very interesting uh, show that it's uh, uh, ideas around uh, arranged marriages and whether or not they're going to make it or not. And so this this show really pulls you in. It sucks you in, and I'm uh, secure enough in my masculinity to admit that. And uh, but but we didn't. We we haven't we haven't we haven't fast forward. We haven't moved ahead. We're, we're patiently waiting. Well, the reason I bring that up, and you're like, how's that relate to anything? Uh, the reason I bring that up is because for those of you that have always wanted. To read the end of the story first, this morning in our section of Acts, I'm going to let us cheat and we're going to read the very end of the chapter and then we're going to work our way back to see why there was such an emotional response in the conclusion. All right, you tracking with me? So we're starting in Acts chapter 20. If you want to turn your Bibles there or your phones there, we're in chapter 20, working our way through this book of Acts, which has been fantastic. And uh, looking ahead at the end of the chapter, starting with the last couple of verses, verse 36, to see this emotional farewell says this in verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Pretty intense emotional scene there. You get the idea of a a very genuine, authentic, authentic, like just emotional goodbye. I would say that uh, on the tier of criers, I'm not really a high on that. T- I'm not a John Irwin, but I'm also, not, uh, I'm also not tearless. And in fact, the one thing, if I was to be honest, the one thing that moves me to tears probably more than anything else is goodbyes. Anybody else hate goodbyes when you know you're not going to see somebody for a long time and you're just like, oh, Adrian's family was in town and I'm watching my wife tear up. I'm watching them tear up and I maybe teared up a little bit. But one of the bigger goodbyes I've had in the last number of years, it really caught me off guard. My, uh, my grandparents passed away about 10 years ago, and uh, maybe some of you have this as well, where we were holding on to their ashes for quite a while. We, about two years ago, we had an opportunity to put their ashes into the ocean in Ocean City, New Jersey, where we all loved a vacation. And man, I'll tell you what, I did not, that totally blindsided me. I did not see that coming. It's kind of that, that uh, you know, that feeling you get in the middle of your chest where it starts kind of welling up before, you know, it goes into your throat. And before you know, it's coming, your eyes are tearing up. And man, it was just an emotional 
goodbye. And the reason I bring that up is because, man, that's what I picture with these guys. Maybe it started as he's, as he's talking, as he's, as he's talking to him, saying his goodbyes. It's the emotion's starting to go into their throat. And then all the way to the point that the text say, says, what does it say? How do they respond? It says, much weeping. Weeping points to the picture of like, it, it's no longer restraint. I mean, it's like full gone, like just sobbing and weeping and just sorrowful at the idea of him leaving. He had told them, we see it there in the text, that they wouldn't see him ever again in the flesh. Why is the question, did they care about Paul so deeply? Why did they care about him so deeply? What, what was it? Clearly, it had some kind of an impact on their lives so that the idea of not seeing him anymore was just completely just heartbreaking. And the reason I bring that up and really what we're going to focus on this morning is asking the question, how does someone live in a manner where they will be deeply missed? How does someone live in a manner so that when you're leaving, people are like, man, I can't picture life without them. They had such an impact on me. I would propose for each one of us, isn't that a life that you want to live? Isn't that a, a, an existence that you want to follow? Something that's going to leave a mark and an influence on people in such a way, not, you, not to toot your own horn, but literally to, to have an influence and an impact on people for Jesus Christ in a manner that people are like, man, I'm just weeping at the thought of you no longer there. Well, that's the impact that Paul has had. And I would suggest that's a life worth emulating. That's a, that's a life where there's, there's aspects of it that you must be like, man, what is he doing? Because he's clearly doing something right. Well, the rest of our section of scripture, we're going to explore just characteristics of Paul that he was living out that made people miss him in such a fashion that they're weeping at his going. Let me pray before we explore the remainder of the text. God, we invite you now to speak to us, and that's why we gather each Sunday, is because you have a word for us. You have the written word that you've given us, and in this, there's so many examples. Some examples we've even talked about from here before are ones that we don't want to follow. And other times, there's examples and characteristics of people that we do want to emulate. God, I ask that you to reveal those to us this morning and maybe even breathe afresh a, a new challenge or a new charge for us coming out of this service. God, we invite your Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do. We, so we submit to that now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we, ha we heard the end of the story. Now we're going to look at what got them to that point of missing somebody so deeply like that. Verse 17, this is Paul talking to this audience. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when he came, they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. 
Now stop there for a moment. You see, this is an introduction of a conversation, but if you think about where we're at, we're in Paul's third missionary journey. If you remember where that goes, he's on a mission to get to Jerusalem to deliver aid to a lot of struggling Christians there in Jerusalem. Well, before going there, he goes on a collection to different churches to gather resources. Well, on his way back, on his way to Jerusalem, he's passing by Ephesus, decides not to go there because he's, man, if I stop there, I'm going to be there forever. I'm going to miss the window in Jerusalem. What's the window in Jerusalem? The holidays. Basically, during between Passover and Pentecost, there's a gathering of really uh, unprecedented amount during the year of people that are there in Jerusalem. So he's like, man, if I'm going to have the most impact, I need to make it there by Pentecost. So he's in a rush. Are we tracking with me? He's in a rush to get there, and he's stopping. He's like, man, I can't stop in Ephesus, but I want to at least visit briefly with some of the men that I've poured into for the last three years. That's who's here in the audience. So he invites them to come there, spend some time, and he begins this emotional goodbye speech, if you will, to this group of elders or leaders of the church of that time. And as he's talking to him, it's kind of cool. It's the only recorded speech of Paul to believers in the entire book of Acts. So this is the one speech that we're going to hear. He starts by describing to them the framework or the foundation that he's laid in his lifestyle before them. He's pointing to the way the, the, the example of his life as something to emulate. So what does he point to? He he first says, you yourselves know. In other words, he's able to look at these people square in the eyes and he's able to say like, you know, you know, you know, because why? You've spent time with me. I've poured my life into you for the past three years since I set foot in Asia. Modern day Turkey is what it's talking about. Since I set foot there, you know firsthand. How do they know? Because they spent day and night together. He invested, and you can see why I titled that Paul engages deeply with people. We're trying to emulate things from his life. You can't have an impact on somebody's life if what? You don't spend time with people. You know, shutting, shutting your garage door and watching four hours of television isn't going to leave long lines at your funeral. I promise that. You have to actually engage with people in order to have what? An influence, right? It's, it's common sense. He's choosing, he's chosen to invest deeply in these people and that creates a response. And he's pointing to them, he's pointing to them all these different ways that while he was there, he modeled Christ to them. He points to first all, the first one that he mentions is his humility. I found that first funny because usually when I think if you mention your humility, doesn't that take away any kind of reward for your humility? You're like, ah, humility, the, the book I wrote, how I, how I became humble. And I, you know, like, how do you, you don't, you don't write that. You don't, but here he does because what Paul understood was the appropriate definition of humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You heard that before? not thinking poorly of yourself. It's just choosing to elevate others before yourself. And he's able to, you know why he's able to say that to these people? Because it's true. Notice there's no rebuttals. There's nobody there going, nah, Paul, you're selfish. No, like, no. They're like, no, we, we get it. We saw that firsthand. We observed it from your life. Humility was on display. 
And Paul understood something that's very important for each one of us to understand. He'd embraced the reality that he didn't shrink back from, that people desperately need role models, and I am a role model. Whew, that's each one of us needs to make that statement. In fact, say to your neighbor right now, say, I'm a role model. Say it to him. It's going to feel good. You're like, I don't know if I want to say that. Look, people, people are like, wait a second. I don't know if I like that. It's a reality, though. It's a reality. And the question is, isn't whether or not you're a role model, it's whether or not what? You're a good role model or a lousy role model, right? It's not a question of whether your people are going to watch you and observe you. It's whether or not you have a life worth emulating in the degree to which your life is submitted to the reign of the Holy Spirit is going to determine whether or not you're a role model worth following or one just kind of uh, ignoring. So which will you be? The, what Paul recognized, he made this statement in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, I love it. He said, be imitators of me. Why? As I am an imitator of Christ. That's a, a beautiful picture there. Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. That's what each one of us should be able to say. Think about those of you that have kids. Isn't that something that every single one of us as parents should be able to say? Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the charge that we have. And if we can't say, none of this garbage, so often we say, do what I say, not what I do, right? That's a bunch of junk. They're, they're, they're going to do what you do, not what you say. And so we either embrace this reality as role models, or we can just kind of shrink away and not realize that it is going to happen. Here he's embracing that, charging them to follow his example. He refers to his tears in ministry. He wasn't mechanical. He refers to all the trials that he had faced. You remember some of the uh, Jews kind of stuck in the old way were clinging to it, and they're coming up with plots against his life in that day and time. So the trials, he points to all of that as proving his commitment to them and laying a framework for what they were to emulate. Continuing, verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody talking about hearing a word from God and you felt a little bit out of place. You're kind of like, man, I, I wish God talked to me more often. Here's the important thing for us to understand. God does speak to us. It's in the book that he wrote to us and for us. And he uses often people. He's a, he's a community God. He uses people of relationships. He uses people to speak this truth to each other. It's pretty cool that God chooses to include us in that process. Well, he chose to include Paul in that process of communicating his word to them. That's an awesome thing. It's pretty powerful because what it does is it sets the table for the Holy Spirit to talk to somebody. I like, I was uh, listening to a, a, a little uh, talk by David Platt. I don't know if you've heard of that pastor or someone I respect. And I like how he described this. He says, I'm not the chef, but I'm a waiter. I don't cook the meal or add ingredients. My job is to get the food to the table and make sure it comes out hot. 
I like that description. In other words, it's not, I'm not assembling the ingredients here on Sunday mornings. I'm not like, huh, what would they like to hear this week? You know, like that's not it. We're going through God's word, the good stuff, the hard stuff, all of the stuff, because all of it is profitable. That's what Paul was committed to, was making sure that the truth was presented and then let God do with it what he will. Can't tell you how often after a sermon, someone will talk to me about the, the message and they'll be like, oh, that was so great when you're, when you're talking about how, how we need to move towards forgiveness and I need to work on reconciling with my, with my son and all this. And I look at my notes and I'm like, I don't really remember talking about that. I don't remember that at all being something I mentioned, but that's the power of the Holy Spirit taking God's word and bringing it to light on the exact thing he wants to talk to us about. Anyone ever have that experience before? That's how our God works when we study his word. There's power in that. So here he's committed to that. And much like still today, I'm trying to be committed to that where I'm responsible for teaching God's word. You're responsible for how you respond to it. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't sugarcoat it at all. If you want to figure out how to be memorable in someone's life, don't be just blending in with everything. Sometimes people need to hear some difficult truth. Sometimes people need to hear hard truth. If you wonder how to be memorable, how to be missed as somebody that's a truth teller, that's a person of influence. I was met at uh, Jamba Juice this week with an uh, army chaplain. It was really interesting sitting down with this gentleman and hearing his testimony and his story. And he, one of the things he was sharing with me is how often because of his travel, you imagine as a chaplain you would, how often he ends up in different churches. He said, you know, and it breaks my heart how seldom I hear the gospel message presented in churches nowadays. Well, that's, that's kind of heartbreaking. He's like, how seldom you hear God's word being taught. He's like, man, it just, it just breaks my heart. And just talking to him, I was like, oh, man, that's a pretty sad state of affairs with church in America right now. Because when we actually teach God's word, when we work through scripture, the gospel is all over the place. Look at what, look at what we just read there. When he describes himself in his, his ministry, verse 21, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Huh, what is that? That's the gospel message. It's about repentance. It's about acknowledging that I've blown it. That shouldn't be too hard for anyone in this room, amen? There's one amen. There we can get Pentecostal for a brief moment. And the second part, our single hope is what? And putting our faith in Jesus Christ, that's our only way, that's our only rescue plan. I don't know if you've been following the news a little bit or kind of the, in social media, it's been talking a lot about a church by the name of Willow Creek Community Church. I don't know if you've heard of Willow Creek, it's Chicago-based. I actually worked there for five years with the young adults and been especially interested in seeing some of the reports because there's been accusations of the lead pastor, Bill Hybels, with sexual misconduct. As I'm reading these different articles and in the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times, it's just, just heartbreaking as I'm watching this play itself out and just, especially when you have kind of roots there and you're reading about this and you're like, oh, it just stinks. And a few different times I'm reading people mentioning, and here's the response that I hear pretty often, people saying, oh, that's so damaging to the gospel. I've heard that a number of times. I was like, oh, yeah, damaging to the gospel. And I was like, thinking about it for a minute, I was like, well... Is it really damaging to the gospel, though? 
What is the gospel? If it's the gospel of elevating somebody other than Jesus Christ, then yeah, that is damaging. Anytime we put our hopes in a person, Scott, Bill Hybels, anybody, you fill it in the blank. I didn't mean to mention myself in that kind of equation, but, but, but you get the idea. Anybody that you elevate other, how often do you hear me say, there's one hero in this book. It's Jesus Christ. That's the one we're putting our hope in, not in people. So is it damaging to the gospel? I'd propose not. The gospel's still going strong because what does the gospel say? Even Bill Hybels desperately needs the grace of Jesus Christ. Even Bill Hybels, even Scott Kegel, you fill in the blank. Everybody, we're all clinging to the same thing as the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's like, man, I'm not, I'm not shying away from that. That's what I'm pointing to. That's who the, the one source of our reconciliation with Almighty God. So those are the things he's not shying away from. It says he's going from house to house, speaking in big venues, large venues, every opportunity that he can. So another noteworthy thing about Paul is he was committed to teaching truth. Moving on, verse 22, Paul was also fully submitted to the Spirit. See if you see it here in the text. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel, again. So here, we're looking at a, a glimpse of Paul's life again. Anyone here enjoy a good roller coaster ride? Anybody say you enjoy going on roller coasters? There's a few people here in the room, a few people. Anybody, not so much, not so much. There's a kind of a mixture here. I have a, a cousin. He's actually a second cousin. His name is Bob, which is a good cousin name. And I uh, lived a, a nice, nice full, full life. Uh, actually passed away just a couple of years ago. But one of the things he was known for, any breaks that he had, any opportunity he had to, to pull away, he always went to amusement parks trying to ride every possible roller coaster in his life. Isn't that crazy? So every vacation was always like, okay, he's going to this park here. He's going to this park here. Even at his memorial service, listen to this, they had a gathering. And then at the end of the gathering, they went to like Knott's Berry Farm and rode rides together. You're like, this guy was legit on the edge. And, uh, and, and, and so the reason I bring that up and you're like, how's roller coaster riding make any sense here? The reason that I bring that up to me, I think that's a little bit of the picture that we have of following the Holy Spirit's lead. What, is it, what does it say there in the text? It says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm hopping on this ride. I'm constrained by the Spirit. You know that sinking feeling when you're getting on that ride, when the harness finally comes down, that constraint that comes down over top of you. And you're like, man, I do not know where this is going to go. What happens? You're like, I'm having to put my trust and its designer and its maker, and also in the hope of having seen other people do it and what? Survive, to talk about it. Isn't that the same exact thing here? You're saying, you know what? I'm going in, I'm, I'm buckling in. He says, the only thing I know is that imprisonment and trials, they're gonna come. It's gonna get a little bit hairy. It's gonna be, there's gonna be some loops. There's gonna be some spins. Work with me here. You get 
The idea here of that's what a life in the Spirit's like. You don't know what's, what, how, where it's going to take you, how it's going to play out, but you do know what? You know the designer. You know the maker. You're like, I trust him. I've seen other people do it. I've watched that. I've observed that. Here he's getting on this ride to Jerusalem, and here's the thing I love, kind of his, his anthem. It says, but I do not account my life of any value. Maybe that's the conclusion you have to be before you get on a, a roller coaster, right? It's like, I don't even care. I don't, I don't care about myself anymore. My life is no longer precious. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received. You see, self-preservation took a back seat to Paul's calling on his life. Self-preservation, no longer, yeah, I don't really care what happens to me. Because why? That's a clue that he's completely sold out. It's like, man, I don't even care anymore. I'm not clinging to this thing, these things of this earth. All of a sudden, those are growing strangely dim. Those are growing strangely dim, right? And isn't that, if you're wondering who's going to leave a mark on someone's life, isn't that someone we're all drawn to? Somebody that no longer has the grips of this earth on them, that no longer has holds in their life. You're like, oh man, that's a person I want to be around. That's a person of influence. That's a person of impact when they've completely sold out and the Holy Spirit is the one driving the cart. That's here what we have. And he says that, that he's moved on to his calling. He says, says that his one goal is that he may finish his course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. I want to explain that just for a brief moment here. First off, it's important to understand it's describing, he says, my course. Here's an important thing for every one of us here to understand. Each one of you has a different course that God has placed before you. And you're like, hey, well, how do I know what course I'm supposed to take? Guess what? Here's a little clue. You're on the course that he wants you to be on right now. You're on the course that he wants you to be on in the sense that you're not, stu- you're not throwing God off where he's just like, oh, shoot, I don't know what I'm going to do. He went over there. You're on the course, and you have potential for influence and impact wherever he's placed you, whatever job, whatever school, whatever scenario you're in. He's like, oh, he's got me on this course. And it might be that you're like, oh, this course needs to take a detour. It needs a de- Well, that's part of the course, too. You maybe need to get off of that course and get on another one. That might be part of your course. But either way, God is directing your steps, and he's completely reigning over all of it. Sometimes you're like, yeah, but I took some detours. Yeah, he works with that too. That's the amazing thing about our, about our God. So we're on the course specific to us. Don't try to go on someone else's course. There's one for you. And then here's the other important thing is he's saying, but he also talks about his course and the ministry that I received. That's where we get on the same page. So the course is different for each of us, but the ministry is the exact same. Like, what do you, what do you mean, Scott? Well, here you see it in the text. I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We all have, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the exact same ministry, very different courses. Are you tracking with me? Very different courses, same ministry. What's the ministry? Testifying to the grace of Jesus Christ. What do you do in a court scenario if you have to testify about something? What do you do? You say, this is what I saw. 
happen, right? Isn't that kind of how a testimony works? I saw this happen. Isn't that the exact same thing that Jesus calls us to? Just sharing with people, this is what I saw happen in my life. I was headed this direction. God grabbed a hold of me and drastically changed me from the inside out. That's my testimony. And your testimony can also be about somebody else that you saw that happen. That's a fun thing. You can be like, man, he transformed me and he transformed Bob. He transformed me and Parker. He transformed, like the the work of God, you can point to his work in your life and the work of him in other people's life. That's what we're all on the same page with, with the exact same ministry to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul was fully submitted to the Holy Spirit. We see that continuing verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. We referred to that. This is our last time seeing them. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Why is that? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, he's completed his ministry. He's proclaimed the gospel message. Now he's like, ah, I'm not guilty. The ball is in your court. Isn't that still how it works today with the gospel message? Once you've communicated the gospel, there's there's a degree of maybe going back and revisiting, but there's also a stepping away and let the Holy Spirit do the work. I've proclaimed it. Man, now I'm committed to praying that God will do the work that only he can do behind the scenes. That's why he says he's innocent of the blood of all. Verse 28. We're wrapping up here quickly with these last two sections. Pay careful attention. This is a transition in the conversation. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So this is a transition in his address from talking about himself and the framework that's been laid to now he's talking about, hey, guess what? It's your turn now. It's your turn now. That's a handing off of the baton, which is a scary reality for some of us that that transition will happen. It's a guarantee. My, uh, my wife's family was in town, and my, uh, her brother's uh, son, his name is Leaf, was visiting. Here's a little picture of, of Leaf on the screen. He was here this last week. So fun hanging out with him and uh, seeing he was, like, had so many questions, just question after question. I was like, man, this kid's going to be awesome because he's just gathering information, gathering, gathering, gathering. But what I noticed is the person that he was interested in following around the most was my son, Chase. Hmm. I'm like, wait a second. So no longer is dad necessarily, well, his dad was, but no longer is it a guarantee that it's dad, that it's, it's the example. My son Chase is a role model for Leaf. If you know my son Chase, that's a scary reality to embrace for me. I'm like, this transition, and here's the thing to understand, this transition is happening Whether we realize it or not, and whether we like it or not, that passing on of the baton of influence is going down the line. Right, risers? It's going down the line. And that's the reality that he's saying here. He's like, all right, guys, it's your turn to lead. It's your turn. I'm handing this off to you. And I love that he's just real subtle about that. And he's like, you're going to take care of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. 
No, 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 nothing subtle there. In other words, that this, this flock was so precious to him, it was bought with the price of his own blood. So good luck with that. Good luck with that. That, that. That's what you're now responsible for. So he's handing, he's empowering them to lead. The transition, the handoff comes quickly. It says, I know that after my departure, this is a little bit of a warning, verse 29, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, uh, your own selves will arise, men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Point to the dangers that are coming up for the flock. He's saying, we're handing this off to you, but it's not going to be easy. There's going to be attacks within the church. There's going to be attacks from outside of the church. Both sides are coming. In Revelations 2.2, when we talked about the church in Ephesus, just 30 years later, a lot of these things had come to fruition. They had had people within the church, false uh, leaders, apostles, rising up, misleading people. You see, all of those things were under attack. That's why what we do with modeling matters because there's not a shortage of opposition in the world around us. How many world religions are people following that a man came and was speaking twisted things in the gospel and it drew people after them following? You do a rundown of that list in your head, but you get the picture here. It's a reality of what's going on. So he's saying, man, I'm empowering those. This late leadership transition is key and why modeling is so important. We'll end with this very last section, verse 32. And now I commend you to God. I love that. I'm turning you over into his hands, into the word of his grace that he's laid a foundation for him with, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, verse 35. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So the, some of you that are taking kids back to school, either last week or this week, you get kind of one last shot to a little pep talk or charge that you give. And I picture Paul kind of like this as he's looking down at his hands. Do you think as a, a tent maker, he probably had some pretty intense looking hands. He's working day and night building and using these things, big old mitts, I imagine. He's looking at, a, at his hands. He's describing them. He says, on all these things, I've shown you that by working hard, Working hard. In other words, the last charge for the audience that he's talking to is work hard. You get one last shot with your kids one last time before they go off into the school. You're like, all right, make sure you work hard. Don't be lazy. Don't try to cut corners on this. Similarly, for the life of influence and the life of impact, it doesn't really work with laziness. It doesn't play well with that. If you're going to have an influence on people, it's going to be through working hard. And he points to one kind of glimmer of hope on that. He's like, and you'll find in that working hard that it's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, it's not a bad thing that I'm calling you to. The harder you work, you're going to realize, man, this is an awesome thing. Find it interesting that he quotes Jesus Christ, but in that quote, that quote is nowhere to be found in the gospel messages. So we don't know exactly when Jesus said that, but it was something that had run its way down the course and something that people recognize and personalize themselves. That man, it is more blessed to give and receive. 
Aren't many of you in that stage of your life right now that you're realizing, wait, all this effort of accumulation or me, me, me stuff kind of grows old, kind of gets, gets tiresome. It's kind of like, what's, what's the point of that? You come to that same exact conclusion Paul is in this point of his life. Man, it's just more refreshing at this stage to just give to others, to bless others. All of these things setting the example of a life I would propose worth emulating, a life that's going to be deeply missed and one that 2,000 plus years later, people are still talking about. Let me pray as we conclude. God, I thank you for this section of scripture and this example that Paul set, that he didn't shirk away from the reality that he understood that we do set an example whether we realize it or not. We are role models. And I pray that we'd embrace that reality, we'd be okay with that reality, and we'd be deeply rooted in a relationship with you where we're submitted to you fully, where there's a complete abandon, where we're elevating others above ourselves, where we're making people a priority over ourselves. God, I pray that you do a work in each one of this. We recognize that none of this is possible without your experience nudging and prodding and shaping and molding that only you can do. So we submit to that even now and we praise you in conclusion. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. A couple things just as you're going. One, if we can be praying for you about something specific, we have a couple of volunteers here at the front available. Also wanted to pass on an invite. We're meeting down at Zuma Beach for this baptism. It's such a refreshing time to celebrate the change that God's doing in people's lives. Encourage you to be a part of that. If you want to be baptized, you can still talk to me about that following the service. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.